This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 209, and we are recording on December 3rd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with special guest Louise Johnson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome, Louise. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's so good to have you. Um, so you are a Book Riot contributor, soon to be a podcaster. Tell us a little bit about what you like to read. Uh, okay. Well, or where to begin? I, uh, enjoy everything really. My big love is, uh, children's, but I also read a lot of literary fiction. I read poetry. Um, if it's book shaped, I'll have it really. I'm <laughs> down with that. Awesome. And we're so excited. We're adding, y'all are the first to hear about this. We're adding a new podcast to our slate of shows. And Louise is one of the podcaster hosts. Tell us a little bit about that too. Yeah. So uh, Novel Gazing, which is a title I am in love with, uh, is launching on January the 14th. And it's a show that I'm co-hosting with Mary Kay. And we will be talking about all your literary fiction needs. So we are here to uh, recommend you books, talk about the books that don't work, and break down a genre that can kind of be sometimes a bit scary, sometimes a bit distant, and make it kind of the stuff that, you know, you want to read and want to uh, have part of your life. Awesome. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. Uh, we're editing the episode zero right now. So, you know, keep an eye out for that. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, so let's see. So, all right. So let's talk about what we're actually doing here today. So this is Get Booked. As I said at the top, it's a personalized reading recommendation show, which means y'all send in reading requests. Maybe you need a book for your book club. Maybe you need a gift for the holiday holidays for a friend or relative. Maybe you just need your next great read based on what you have loved in the past. We will do our best to find one for you. You can submit those questions either via the show notes on the Book Riot site. There's a form in every episode's show notes. You can drop your questions there, or you can email us at getbooked@bookriot.com. If you have a time-sensitive request and you're hoping to have the answer back by a certain date, please do put time-sensitive big letters right at the top, either in the subject line of the email or in the first line of the form, and we will do our best. If we don't think we're going to get to it on air, we might shoot you an email, so keep an eye out for those. All right, so before we get into today's questions and recommendations, we have a lot of feedback. <laughs> Y'all were on top. Oh, gosh, that's so good. Yeah, so many great suggestions. So I'm going to move through that at a brisk pace. Uh, Stephanie, who is the amazing librarian who is cataloging this show's recommendations, I will leave a link for her spreadsheet of awesome in the show notes, um, has recommendations for the reader whose husband likes history and adventure, Peter Klein's Paradox Bound, which is a time travel mystery with elements of American history, shadowy government figures, and great characters, for the reader who wants a big scary book, the country of, well, not scary, like a big intense 
intense book. Let's clarify that. Uh, Stephanie recommends The Country of Ice Cream Star by Sandra Newman, which is post-apocalyptic uh, with a heroine who doesn't want to be a heroine trying to save her family and the world. Also recommend Anne Leckie's Imperial Ratch series. Great. Uh, Elizabeth has a recommendation for the listener looking for nature writing for an introvert, The River by Peter Heller. It's nature writing disguised as a thriller and has a grand total of six characters. Let's see. Case also recommends The River by Peter Heller for the person who was looking for recommendations to read after Where the Crawdad Sings. So two votes for that one. And then a recommendation from Molly, who is a former zookeeper, for the listener looking for books regarding the daughter's zookeeping internship, Kicked, Bitten, and Scratched by Amy Sutherland, which is about an exotic animal training school and being a keeper and trainer, which sounds fascinating. And then Melissa has recommendations for Shannon, who asked for uh, the basketball camp recs and picked Beyond Basketball, Keywords for Success by Mike Krasuski. He is the Duke's Duke men's basketball coach and has coached the men's USA Olympic team, and he wrote the book with his daughter. So thank you all for those many excellent recommendations. All right, before we read our first question, let's hear about our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. 
Okay, I am going to read our first question now, which is from Diana, who says, I'm struggling because everywhere I go right now, I'm seeing Christmas books, which is great, except that I can't relate because I don't celebrate Christmas. I'm Jewish, but surprisingly, there are no cozy, cute, and fun Hanukkah reads readily available to me. I'm looking for some holiday reads that have that cozy feeling and are funny and or heartwarming, but not centered around Christmas. Books I like that have a similar vibe are A Christmas Carol, Moominland Winter, and most of Hans Christian Andersen's books. Haven't really read more contemporary fiction because I just haven't been able to relate to it. Bonus points if it actually has a Jewish character. Double bonus if it's written by or about a woman. All right. I'm so glad we got this question. Louise, what do you have for Diana? All right. So when I saw your point about it being cozy, cute and that you like things like the Moomin Lad Midwinter and A Christmas Carol. My heart immediately went to um, Eva Ibbotson, who I adore in a thousand different ways, but she has this great um, skill of making your heart kind of feel complete. Ah, she makes me so happy. And she writes these really classy, beautiful romance families people just going through life and finding out where they want to be and who they want to um, be with. You know, she's an unabashed uh, romance. Well, she writes romance really beautifully and she includes it in her novels. She was actually a, um, a Jewish refugee from Vienna and her family came over to Britain uh, before World War II. And her background, her heritage, it's part of everything that she does. So anyone who wants something that is heartwarming, that is funny. She's so witty. She's so um, acute with what she says. There's a there's a little quote that I always think is one of my favourite ones, where she talks about one of her characters uh, scratching the point behind um, the ear of a big dog, just where the dog keeps his soul. And I just think, oh my God, she's so beautiful in what she does. So yeah, my pick for you is Eva Ibbotson, and I would suggest uh, that you start with The Countess Below Stairs or Medensky Square. But to be fair, if you pick anything by um, Eva Ibbotson, you will not go wrong. And that is my like my cast iron guarantee. Lovely. Yeah, it is really hard to find books about Jewish characters that aren't like about World War II, uh, yeah. which, you know, it makes sense. But yeah, we we do need more than that. Um, And I was excited to have the opportunity to recommend Lighting the Flames by Sarah Wendell, who is the, I think, co-founder of Smart Bitches Trashy Books, which is one of my favorite romance websites. And this is a romance novella. And it's so much fun. It's like catnip to me in a lot of ways because it does take place at winter. It takes place during Hanukkah. And also, it takes place at a summer camp that has been open during the winter because it's a little bit in danger of going under. And so they're trying to, like, you know, get some extra money and get some more support from the community and hopefully be able to open up again in the summer. So they're having, like, this very rare winter camp. And I was a camper as a kid, and I never got to go to camp during the wintertime. And it just sounds amazing to me. Oh, It's just like there are snowballs and they like have all these just like hot chocolate and fires. And also it's too cold in the cabins at night. And it just is, it's wonderfully cozy in that way. Um, and it's about Genevieve and Jeremy, who have been counselors and first campers and then counselors at this Jewish overnight camp for just years and years and years. And last year during the summertime, they had a kiss but it didn't then 
then like Jeremy had to leave camp early because of family business. And then Genevieve like went off on a fellowship to a different country in Iceland, I think she was. And they haven't really talked. So now they're back together and there's all this unresolved feelings and tensions. And are they going to get back together? Are they even going to talk about it? And it turns out that they also, because they mostly know each other from camp, they don't really talk about their lives outside of camp. But that's actually really important to what's going to happen for them next. So it's really lovely to see them sort of figure out how to move past just the things that they know about each other so well and find out all these other different facets of each other. Um, I will say this is a gentle romance, so there's no sex on the page. There's like a fade to black, but there are some good steamy makeout scenes. <laughs> and I just, I really enjoyed it. It was so much fun. And I love the atmosphere of this. And it's just like the perfect holiday romance read. So again, that's Lighting the Flames by Sarah Wendell. Excellent. I'm sold. Sorry. <laughs> right? I know. It's like, it's such a, oh, it's lovely. Okay, Louise, will you read our next question? Uh, I will. Uh, so hi, all. I am a philosophy professor at a large public school, and I will be teaching a course called Ethics and Disability next semester. I'd really like my students to read a own voices book by an author with either a visible or invisible disability that features a character with a disability. Um, I'd prefer a quick read since the book will be part of a larger syllabus and either fiction or nonfiction would be fine. And that is from Katie. Wonderful. And what did you pick for this? I picked a young adult text from a uh, debut author and she's Emma Barton Smith. And the book is The Million Pieces of Nina Gill. And it's perhaps a little bit different than uh, what you're after in that it touches on mental illness and psychosis and anxieties. But her writing here is so um, eloquent and perfect. It speaks from um, the author's own experiences uh, that with mental health, with severe um, anxiety and psychosis and moments of deep personal um, mental health uh, issues. And how she handles it throughout the book is beautiful. It's also incredibly poignant. It's incredibly touching. And there is a great um generosity about it. I think it's hard to write something in a way that makes you feel empathy for everyone involved, even if their choices may be particularly problematic or particularly... um Well, I'm not sure what I'm saying. Anyhow, it is a good book. <laughs> and she writes it really very well. And... I think it's a perfect thing to use as a generation point for discussion and to build on some of the passages that she puts in there because they're so poetic, they're so beautiful and they're, it's just so open and honest about the experience that Nina herself goes through. Uh, so it is The Million Pieces of Nina Gill by Emma Barton Smith and it's Barton with a hyphen. That sounds fantastic. I definitely need to pick that up. <laughs> this is just the show where we recommend books to each other. Really. <laughs> uh, I picked The Pretty One by Kia Brown. This is a memoir. The subtitle is On Life, Pop Culture, Disability, and Other Reasons to Fall in Love with Me, which is just such a fantastic subtitle. Kia Brown was the creator of the hashtag Disabled and Cute, and it is a really lovely memoir slash essay collection about what it means to be Black and disabled in, like, you know, very white, able-bodied America. And she has struggled, uh, she in her family and in society to figure out, you know, who she is beyond her cerebral palsy. And so 
this is such I, I picked this because it is so accessible and so fun to read, even as she is dealing with these very serious topics and issues. Like the opening essay is all about chairs and like what kind of chairs she likes and what kind of chairs she doesn't like and like what kind of chairs are just for fun and what kind of chairs become your best friends. And I was just like, this is Love I have that. never thought about a chair in this way. And now I'm now I can't stop thinking about chairs in this way. And and that's just an example, but I it's it's a really fun read. Um it's not I want to say what? It's like a little under 300 pages, so that's not that short, but it it just flies by because she's so engaging and so funny and so thoughtful. And I just I think there will be so much to identify with um for your students and and to learn. So again, that's The Pretty One by Kia Brown. Okay, our next question is from Mona, who says, I love listening to the show. Thank you. Uh, I have been in a reading funk for a while and am in need of some great recommendations to get me back to my usual book loving state. In particular, I am in the mood for historical fiction, not medieval England stuff, and adventure, superheroes, pirates, swashbucklers, time travelers, etc. I'm partial to gutsy female heroines and read adult, YA, middle grade, etc., but I'm not in the mood for graphic novels. Bonus points if you have recommendations recommendations for a series. Okay, Luis, what you got? So uh, I don't have recommendations for series, but I do have recommendations for an author. And she is Catherine Johnson. And the book that I'm going to direct you to first is uh, The Curious Tale of the Lady Caribou. Uh, So Caribou is spelled C-A-R-A-B-O-O. And Catherine Johnson is one of the um, great voices of identity fiction, children's, young adult, trying to fight, figure out who you are and um, where you want to be in the world. And this, The Curious Tale of the Lady Caribou, is based on a real-life tale during 19th century England, uh, where a girl adopted an identity that was not her own. Um, and sometimes I think we expect sort of heroines, especially with female, uh, you know, the great problem of the uh, angry girl, the... the oh, the great problem that is uh, girls fighting. Uh, we expect that to be the only way that they show their strength a lot through literature. But the characters in this are articulate. They're smart. They're brave and they're gutsy as you, as you, as you're after, but they're gutsy in quite incredibly nuanced political, uh, intellectual, um, articulate ways. So yeah, I love what Catherine Johnson does. And she has this great gift of telling you something that feels like, you know, the sort of story that you have by the fireside. It's a wintry night. You're all curling up. You're hearing this story. And she makes it sound, uh, everything that she does, like she's telling it for the first time. So, yeah, I love what she does. And I am recommending you The Curious Tale of the Lady Caribou by Catherine Johnson. Lovely. So I picked a YA book. Uh, well, it's technically a two-book series, a duology. And the first is Winter Song by S.J. Jones. And I loved this book. I actually, like, literally this morning got the alert from the library that my copy of Shadow Song, which is the second one, is ready for pickup. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, so in the first one, Liesel is our main character. And she lives in, I think it's like... Austria, like, but out in the country, uh, that kind of environment. 
and she her family owns an inn and you know she's she's like she's sort of grown she's helping run the inn but she's been a composer all of her life she's got musical talent and lots of dreams and she's having to put all of that aside to help out with the family and her all of the family's hopes are pinned on her younger brother who is a violinist I believe and is you know like auditioning for a maestro to get taken to the city and hopefully become you know an acclaimed musician and she just is gonna stay here at the inn and like do the laundry and clean the rooms because that is what happens to women in this time period and this setting um but then her other sister who is like the pretty sort of carefree one is taken by the goblin king who she has heard rumors and you know legends of all her life but never actually really believed and now she has to go like into the underground and try to save her sister and it is like it's very much a sort of labyrinth plus like you know 18th century austria mashup which is really fun no i'm sold that sounds brilliant (laughs) right (laughs) It's so good. And Liesl is such a strong character in in that she has incredibly strong emotions. And she is, that can be a drawback. And I think is often considered a drawback in society. But she, you know, she like lives her feelings and she uses that power to propel her in this incredibly complicated and dangerous situation. And there's, you know... There's a love story and there's danger and there's all kinds of complicated sibling feelings and there's just so much going on here. And I just I love it. It's so complex and so like, oh, it just gets you right in the gut with the feelings. And and that's my jam. So I think you will dig it again. That's Winter Song. Uh, the second book is called Shadow Song and that's by S. Jai Jones. I'm making such a list of recommendations here. My God. <laughs> yeah. All right. Will you read our next question? It will be a pleasure. Uh, okay. So we have Autumn coming in with two requests. The first would be for children's books that introduce children to the fact that families come in all different types. The second is for books about bo- how boys and girls don't need to only do, uh, and you have to imagine my inverted commas around these, boy things or girl things. Uh, her daughter is four years old and She's wanting to find some sort of children's book that can help explain that families come in all types and that boys and girls can do whatever they want. And this is uh, the sort of question that I live for. I think quite often, again, with children's, we sort of don't quite understand what they're able to take in sometimes. And they are able to take in a world of knowledge and understanding even when they're maybe pre-literate emerging literate when they're just got kind of getting used to how a book looks and feels so for books that introduce children to the fact that families come in all different types and how uh they don't need to only do sort of specific boy things or girl things which uh i'm sure you can uh hear me rolling my eyes slightly at that <laughs> i don't i've not got time for that jazz But I would say that for anyone who's wanting anything in this area, I would head for the work of Susie Day. She's maybe a little bit old now for a four-year-old, but if you get a bedtime book in and you do a mum, dad, partner, um, adult reading to a child and they do it at bedtime, that's such a brilliant way to generate these discussions and to talk about these things. 
And Susie Day, I always describe her as like Enid Blyton, but without the complex, horrible bits. And Susie Day has this great way of making the world inclusive, uh, making it be a space where girls can do whatever they want, where boys can do whatever they want, and they can uh, experience life in any particular way that they wish. And she does it with such kindness and such inclusive inclusivity. It's never... Um, like a tick box exercise, you know, it's not, I can't get these in, I can't get these in. She just makes the world so genuine and so lovely that her books are something that I would recommend without even stopping to like breathe. I haven't, in fact. Um, so yeah, I would recommend, uh, Susie Day and particularly her P books. It's a series about a girl called P and her sisters, uh, and they will be a little bit old to for a four-year-old to manage independently, but if you have a bedtime sort of read with her and do a chapter a night or something, they will be perfect, and uh, I hope you love them as much as uh, I do. Lovely. Yeah, I have a lot of sympathy for this question. I just spent a week with my niece, who is four, and she is... I mean, it's coming from like daycare and outside of the house, um, but all of these like cementing of gender roles, which is so such such a bummer to see that start to happen. And you know, it's just because of you know the messages from society and and media, and also some other households perhaps. But but it is hard to combat that. Um, I'm recommending when Aiden became a brother, which is by Kyle Lukoff and illustrated by Kaylani Juanita. And I love this picture book so much. It's just so sweet and so fun and also goes so deep into a really interesting sort of, I haven't seen a book do this before. Uh, so let me tell you what. It is. So Aiden, when Aiden was born, everybody thought he was a girl. So, you know, his parents brought him girl clothes and gave him a girl's name and he really struggled to find the words to show that he that he was a boy and uh, and find a new name and find a new way of expressing his gender. And his parents and he, you know, figured it out and, you know, got him, you know, to where he needed to be and, and ways to present himself. And now they're going to have another baby. And Aiden is so excited to be a big brother, but he's really worried because he knew, you know, he remembers how it was hard for him when people thought he should be doing girl things or things different than he was doing. And he says, you know, what if I make the same mistake with a baby? How will we know what colors the baby will like? How will we know the right name for the baby? How will we know, you know, what the baby will want to do? Um, and it's such a sweet story of understanding that like sometimes you don't know and sometimes you might make a mistake and sometimes you might have your own you know baggage but like as long as you talk to people and approach them with love you can work it out and you know the baby will let them know when the baby is ready what the baby wants to be called and how the baby wants to present and it's like oh it's just like it gives me all the feelings oh my goodness I'm having feelings um it gives me a <laughs> lot of feelings and uh and it's just and it's also like like, it's really fun because you get to see Aiden like running around and playing and, you know, expressing his gender in these really lovely, fun ways. And it talks very specifically about like girls can do lots of different kinds of things. And Aiden likes to do lots of different kinds of things, but 
you know, that didn't mean that Aiden was a girl. And and it really dials into that, like, what do gender roles mean to little kids? Yeah. It's really lovely. And also the pictures are so fun. Um, It's a multiracial family, which is nice. It is uh, like mom, dad, and then Aiden family. But, um, you know, it definitely gets into queer issues, obviously, in, in sort of the transgender way. So, again, that's When Aiden Became a Brother by Kyle Lukoff, illustrated by Kehlani Juanita. And now it is time to hear about our second sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. At she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. All right. Next question is from Sarah, who says, I love history and especially enjoy reading about strong, smart female leaders and rulers. The vast majority of the books I found are about English and French queens slash mistresses slash duchess, etc., or occasionally Cleopatra. I'd like to branch out and would love it if you could recommend books about powerful women of non-European history. Any historical period is fine, although I usually gravitate toward ancient or medieval history. Nonfiction is preferred but I would be open to well-researched historical fiction as well. All right, Louise, what do you have for this one? All right, so I sympathize a lot with this because I could read books about Marie Antoinette until, you know, the end of time, but there are other women in the world (laughs) and their stories are equally valid. Uh, So, yeah, I have gone for The Wife's Tale by Ida Ida Mariam, 
And it is a really interesting book that kind of spins your question into a little bit of a different area in that uh, Ida wrote it about her grandmother, uh, an Ethiopian lady called Yeta Menu, and she grew up and lived during some incredible times during Ethiopia's history. And she's not, so to speak, a powerful woman in maybe the structures that we tend to recognise as power. But equally, they are usually structures that don't allow women to participate with them. I'm thinking of the fact that, you know, in Britain, we've we've only had two British women prime ministers. For women to be part of power within certain structures is incredibly hard. But the thing about um, Ida's grandma here is that she is married to a very important figure within Ethiopian's, Ethiopia's religious history and the events that she lives for and you kind through uh, the events that she lives through and you kind of get this realisation as you read it that the power is in her ability to tell these stories and in her language and in the uh, things that she witnessed and that she saw. So it's it's slightly, not necessarily a leader and ruler in a traditional sense, but it is a, in a traditional patriarchal sense, let's, let's caveat that straight away. But it is a woman who is in charge of who she is and fights very hard to find that identity and to give that to her family and her children. And uh, what Edda Mariam does is, she tells this story in such a unique, distinct way. It's not a straight biography. It's not a piece of historical fiction. It's kind of somewhere that hangs in between. So it's really poetically done. It's again, the sort of story that you'd hear, um, told to you. And she, I, I, um, was watching a YouTube, uh, video with the author and she was talking about how her grandma told her these stories and, in a sense, Edda Mariam is now telling us those stories in a very similar oral, intimate way, and it's beautifully done. So yeah, I would go for uh, that, <laughs> which is uh, The Wife's Tale by Ida Edda Mariam. That sounds wonderful. It's really, like, it, it took me quite by surprise, I think. You know, you don't quite expect to find it in, like, the history section mm. of the library because it's so very much a little bit of everything but yeah I do I, I think it's a treat nice um I picked a book that I've read in the past year I want to say and just loved and I think it's it's definitely up your alley as well it's The Empress by Ruby Lau and this is about Nur Jahan who was at, like for all intents and purposes and sometimes quite explicitly the ruler of a certain time period in the um, Mughal Empire. It was in the early 1600s. Uh, she married Emperor Jahangir, and she, like, he, he, for various reasons, was not able to govern at certain times. He was, you know, failing health, and his attention was, you know, he was distracted. <laughs> and she was, like an amazing person. She was a politician. She was a devoted wife. She was a mother. She was an archer. She was an architect. Like She was a Renaissance woman in the sense that she had so many different interests and was skilled at so many different things. She actually led troops into battle. Like She signed imperial orders. She issued coins. Like She was, for all intents and purposes, an empress. And I had never heard of her before this book came across my radar. So it was really exciting to read. 
And we particularly, I think, at least in America, um, don't read a lot of stories about powerful Muslim women. There's a lot of, you know, ideas about like what uh, roles Muslim women can inhabit, uh, in particular among, among white and especially white Christian America. And this just sort of blows all that up. I mean, she is an amazing figure. She lived at a fascinating time period. And I thought Ruby Lal did a great job making this accessible. I mean, I was a history major, so I have a pretty high tolerance for histories to be like, I don't want to say dry, but like, I don't need it to be, you know, narrative, <laughs> like plot filled kind of history. Um, <laughs> but I thought this was really accessibly told. I think there's definitely, you know, ways into this for people who maybe don't read a ton of straightforward history. I think it's just, again, such a fascinating and wonderful story. And I'm so glad to have this on my shelf and to have learned this piece of history. So again, that's Empress by Ruby Lull. So our next question is from Chandra in Minnesota, who says, I have a major book hangover from Hannah Kent's Burial Rites and would love to know about more books that are about and or are set in Iceland and Scandinavia more generally. Time period is not important to me. I'm just fascinated by the landscape and culture. I'll take fiction and nonfiction alike as long as it's interesting. Louise, what did you pick for this? Okay, so I have fixated on your uh, point about it being interesting. And I've gone for The Other Life by Julia Gray. That's uh, Julia Gray with an A. It's a young adult novel that deals with Norse mythology, but it does it in a way that isn't quite what you expect. And it takes you to places that you can never quite see coming. Um Julia Gray has this great thing where she, she goes for the big story, right? She finds the big, big stories in her work and occasionally they're strange, occasionally they're dark, occasionally they're a bit odd and you might not quite know what's happening. But she tells these big stories with such confidence and such kind of faith in uh, the story itself that you can't help but buy in. So this is a story about two boys. It's a story about Norse gods. It's a story about Loki. And it's a story about how it all comes together in kind of this um, maelstrom of emotions and problems and darkness. And it's a great way to learn not only about uh, the mythology of the area, but also about um, heavy metal, which is also a plus. Let's throw that one in. Added bonus. Um, but I'm also going to recommend you another one here, which is The Moomins, Anything by Tove Janssen. Uh, she is a dream and I am currently working my way through The Moomins Cookbook, which is just making me so happy on a thousand different levels. So yeah, I'm going for The Other Life by Julia Gray and The Moomins by Tove Janssen. Lovely. So I picked The Greenlanders by Jane Smiley, which is probably quite obviously about Greenland. <laughs> and it starts with a family. It's set in the 14th century. Um, and it starts with a family, uh, Asgir Gunnarsson's family. And it follows the different family members through their lives. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it feels like quiet but also really, really big in an interesting way because they're just like farming and maybe getting married and maybe not getting married and maybe going off on, you know, a, a going off on an adventure or a voyage. 
end, you know, maybe they're hunting or maybe they're in a feud. Like, it's just all of these sort of mundane everyday activities, but it's set in this big, you know, giant landscape and in this big, giant sort of mythological and historical tradition. And so it just feels so immersive. You definitely feel like you're there I, I and 100% immersed in the, the culture and and the feel of, of the, you know, the surroundings and in the feel of their lives. So I think if, you know, what you want is to feel like you're there experiencing the culture, which I think burial rites did actually really well. Uh, this evokes that same feeling. It just doesn't have as much of a straight line plot. It meanders sort of all over the place. But that's the thing that I love. So again, that's The Greenlanders by Jane Smiley. Brilliant. So shall we head towards uh, the next question? Let's do it. Awesome. So uh, I'm in grad school, says Kate. Uh, She's teaching languages, English and Spanish. And she's taken a few linguistics classes in both languages. She recently read The Schwa Was Here by Neil Schusterman and is currently reading Ella Minnow P, Uh, which is a brilliant title. I love that so much. I would love to know if there are more fiction books out there that play with language, whether with wordplay, like Ella Minnow P, or through personifying the language. Some of her favourite reads are books about books, so I would love to include that, to expand that, to include books about language. So, uh, Kate, I am going to recommend you a book that uh, blew my mind a little bit as I discovered it as an undergraduate, but I keep coming back to it and it kind of blows my mind on different levels. And it's called A Void, so uh, A Space Void, like a void book with a space. I don't know how many times I can overemphasise that title <laughs> in a weird way. Forgive me. But it's by Georges Perec, and he was a guy who was part of a uh, French uh, literary school called Ulipo, where they tried to play around with uh, language and what it could be and what it could do. And they were really fond of introducing rules into their writing. So, for example, you could write uh, a poem with just words of one syllable, and then on the second line, words of two syllables, and the third, words of three. You could write uh, with just words of the same letter, starting with the same letter, Oh, you know, a variety of other different things. And they thought that with these rules, uh, you could really test and find like the limits of language and what you want to do with it. So, uh, his book, A Void, is written entirely without the letter E. And what's more is it's a mystery about the letter E's absence. And it's crazy on a thousand different levels. And he doesn't, use the letter E in it, which just leaves me kind of panicking slightly at the thought of writing that. But equally, it's just a genius book and it shows you what language can do when you put it under such great uh, stress and you push it really to the limits. But I would also give you a children's book recommendation here by another author that I've studied uh, called David Almond. And his book is My Name is Mina. And it is a love letter to the power of language and what it can do. Mina is a girl outside of uh, conventional schooling. She leaves under circumstances that are um, recounted in the book and ends up being homeschooled by her mother. Her education is given to her by her mum, but also the world about her by uh, William Blake, the poet, by the stars, the sun and the moon and 
It's all recounted in this most beautifully written journal where she reflects about how much she loves what words can do and language. And it's, it's, uh, as I say, it's a love letter to, to words and what they can be and what they can do. It's also a prequel to one of Almond's really well-known books called Skellig. But in a way, I almost think that My Name is Mina is better than that in that it does something incredibly risky in that it takes this strange, fey, odd girl that has been forgotten by society, the world that she lives in, and it makes her centre stage. So yeah, uh, my recommendations for you are very different, but they're very much related to this idea of what language is and what it can be. So that is A Void by Georges Perec, P-E-R-E-C, uh, and My Name is Mina by David Alman. Nice. So, Kate, I have for you a thriller about linguistics. <laughs> it's Lexicon by Max Berry. And this is a really fascinating and odd book because it is an action thriller, like with a lot of like conspiracies and shadow agents and big, you know, action sequences. And but it's also very deeply about linguistics. So. The idea is that there is this exclusive school outside of Arlington, Virginia, where agents are, you know, recruited, young students are recruited and taught to harness the power of words in the name of coercion so they can manipulate people's minds and, like, take control of other people by using these very specific word constructions. And they graduate as poets and take on the names of like, you know, Bronte or Eliot or Lowell or, or these famous authors uh, to disguise their own identities. And there's two timelines in this story. One is Emily, who is an orphan, who is living on the streets in San Francisco, like ripping off tourists playing three-card Monty when she gets recruited. And then there's a sort of fast-forward timeline. Um, Will is the main character of that, who is ambushed and abducted in an airport bathroom by two strange men and who tell him that he's like the key to this secret war. Uh, and people are, you know, pursuing him and want to kill him and he doesn't understand anything that goes is going on and he discovers that like his memories and everything he thinks he knows about his past is all a lie so there's a lot going on here but it's like a hundred percent about the power of words and the power of language and also is an action adventure spy thriller. <laughs> so, so you get a little bit of everything. Um, and it's a really fun sort of fascinating concept. If you look through the Goodreads reviews, it's kind of hilarious because people are like trying out the power words in their reviews. <laughs> so clearly, you know, it's so compelling that you feel like this should be real, uh, which is kind of a terrifying thought. And I'm glad it's not. Um, but it is a really fun concept. And Barry has a lot of fun playing with it. So I think this will definitely definitely be in your wheelhouse. So again, that's Lexicon by Max Berry. And that is our show. Huzzah! Louise, thank you so much for coming on today and joining us. I have so many books to add to my TBR now. Oh, do you know what? So do I. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I'm going to go away and make the uh, 
biggest reservation list at the library that I've made for like weeks. Excellent. Excellent. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. So, and remember that you can tune in to our new podcast, Novel Gazing, which is about literary fiction uh, with Louise and Mary Kay, and that will launch in mid-January. So keep an ear out for that. Uh, if you have any interest in leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts, we would super appreciate that. Uh, it helps us to know how we're doing on the show, and it also helps other folks to find it. So that is always lovely. Thank you to today's sponsors for making today's episode possible. And you can find us on social media. Louise, where should people look for you? Uh, they can find us on social media. Uh, both of us are on Twitter, I think. Uh, but yeah, you just get in touch with us and let us know the sort of things you think we should be talking about. And uh, I hope you can join us come January. Yeah. What's your Twitter? Uh, at Chalet Fan. C-H-A-L-E-T-F-A-N. It is a tribute to a series of books that I collect. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it's not that I'm very into uh, Austrian buildings. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to clarify. We would not judge you if you were. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And on Instagram, it's I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time.